You're listening to Inside the Outdoors, presented by People for Bikes and the Outdoor Industry Association, where we discuss the latest market trends in outdoor recreation. And now, here are your hosts, Kelly Davis and Patrick Hogan. Hey everyone, welcome back for another episode of Inside the Outdoors. I'm your host, Patrick Hogan. In this episode, Kelly and I pick up right where we left off in our discussion with Kieran Herbert, discussing everything related to shared micromobility. How has bike share utilization been affected by the electrification of bikes? How can shared micromobility become more equitable? And what can be done to increase the use of shared micromobility programs? Let's get into it. One of NACDO's, like, probably the last recommendation that I'll mention that to make shared micromobility more equitable is to figure out more protected on-street infrastructure. So you're kind of eliminating any of that, like, what's going on with cars. And like, this is especially true in these underserved neighborhoods. So we know that more protected bike lanes lead directly to more people using shared micromobility. So not just bikes in general, but specifically shared micromobility. And I think they cite, they cite something in the report, which Patrick will be familiar with, because this was a people for bikes effort in Austin to build a hundred miles of new bike lanes between 2018 and 2022. They did that. And it's continued to just be one of the top cities for shared micromobility ridership. 3.4 million dockless bikes and e-scooter trips. Wow. Yeah. And, and over and over 300,000 on their dock system. So Austin's one of the places where you have both. There we go. We'll talk getting data about that and analyzing it later. Yeah. But I mean, if I wanted to support this effort, like in my in one of the cities I'm closest to, or I, if I'm a manufacturer and I I just want to support the effort or get involved or maybe have some bikes, you know, and I'm like, mm, you know, maybe somebody can use these. What? Who should I call? Should I call you? Should I just people? Who should I call? People for bikes, Patrick. I mean, I call Patrick anyway. But don't call me. I'm totally calling at two in the morning. Like, dude, I got bikes. I'm I'm a do not disturb. <laughs> <laughs> we'll Sorry. just post Patrick's number for everybody to call. Yeah, oh, dox you right now, Thank you. Yeah. Dox me. Get yeah. out of here. You can you can always reach out to the Better Bike Share Partnership. One of our roles is really just to play connector and help. If you have deep pockets, I have a system right now that could use your funding because they just lost their sponsor. So we can. Oh heck yeah! What what would sponsorship entail? If I let's say I did have deep pockets right now, what I know I've got let's say I've got half a million. What could you do with that? Well, half a million, right? We what we just saw in Boston, they just made it free for all low income people and <laughs> slash slash their prices in half. Half a million can go a really long way for a bike share system. The system I'm specifically thinking of is Cincinnati. They just lost their main title sponsor, and we know that when you lose your title sponsor. Your system, unless you find a new one, that's a huge funding gap to cover. So that's how, you know, Minneapolis lost their bike share system in 2023. So it, it that's kind of where the volatility in this industry is right now. Half a million dollars would just keep that system running and force so it wouldn't have to close. It'd be huge. If I'm, if I'm, who's in Cincinnati? Is it P&G? 3M is Minneapolis. Like, could we go to them and ask them for money? I'm sure we have. Right. But it, I mean, it wouldn't it be in their best interest to support something like this. You're hired. You're the new PFB <laughs> development director, Kelly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, you it would, especially because we know that there's so much data out there. Bike share improves public health outcomes. That's why we see a lot of insurance companies as sponsors. 
Yeah. Hey, uh, you want your employees to show up for work on time and not sick? This is exactly. a good idea. Well, yeah. Maintain a healthy lifestyle, maintain like mental health. You know, like it, it, it achieves a lot of goals that companies know that they want their folks to do. We've, I think you and I have talked about this before, Kelly. We had an episode last year on companies sponsored like bike benefit programs and all the different ways that getting outside, maybe, maybe it was more broad than bike benefits, but it was like companies supporting their employees getting outside because of all the benefits that it provides the individual as well as the organization. Yeah. And I mean, I've seen a lot of that research. I've done a lot of that research for Yeah. Example. Yeah. Yeah, healthy yeah, and then people you, make more productive people. Yes. There, yeah. There's that too. And then it's just like the advertising, right? Your logos on these bikes that are just all around town and you've got these happy people, smiling people riding them for you. It's really a win-win. I think the disconnect is just, these are bike share people. They're really maybe good at community engagement, logistics, operations, but they're not fundraisers. They don't have mm. necessarily the contacts or the skill sets to go in and try and get those. <laughs> So if you if you have that if you have a contact with PNG and we'll connect our folks. Oh yeah, PNG, 3M, absolutely. And well, I like Cincinnati. Cincinnati's a place where I can get the best possible tenderloin steak. <laughs> <So> <laughs> I have my standard. We'll make sure there's a docked a docked e bike station there at the steakhouse for you. Okay, it's you walk right out, you get your e bike. Just a just a little bit of you know a little bit of free advertising for the precinct in Cincinnati. It's actually in an Amazing. old police precinct. Best filet. Oh my God. Very fun. With Diane sauce on it. Oh my God. But I, I haven't eaten I mean, lunch yet. We gotta we gotta switch topics. Karen, you were you were um <laughs> uh like we we sort of like touched on barriers and how fundraising can potentially be an issue and, and like a lack of sustainable um revenue, maybe. But like what are the other barriers preventing the the continued growth of shared micromobility or like what's What's standing in the way of more cities being successful with shared micromobility? I think it is just really cities being like, this is a private enterprise. You company need to lead mm. lead it. And then we know these companies go out of business. They decide it's not profitable. And then all of a sudden you're without it. So again, the cities that are investing in it, like public transportation, are going to do the best, especially going forward, that are investing their own money in it, that are treating it like transit, and that are equity focused so are making sure they're taking care of affordability and also where the stations are yeah. and that really just that takes intentional effort right you need on the ground community engagement especially for equitable expansion it's a suite of things that help break down barriers to ridership all of which i write about a lot on the better bike share partnership so if you're ever interested in reading along please follow up there yeah we'll, we'll put a link yeah, in the link. Uh, episode description yeah love that the other thing that we haven't really talked about that's huge in shared micromobility is electrification. It's just, it's driving so much of the ridership. Most fleets, I think in New York City, it's like 25% of their fleet, but it's 50% of the ridership. And that's really emblematic. Oh, wow. of, yeah, that's emblematic of a lot of systems. People just love e-bikes, just kind of like everywhere else, right? They don't have to work as hard. These bikes are heavy too. So the e-bikes are really driving change, but E-bikes also make things more expensive. They're yeah. harder to maintain because you got to drive around unless your station's electrified to swap out batteries. So we need to figure out that part, how to keep e-bikes affordable in your systems and how to make it so the system's really sustainable. So we see a lot of systems trying to electrify their docked stations. Yeah. And I mean, this... This totally makes sense. This addresses so many of the barriers to bicycling that we know electric bicycles 
just addressed on their own, right? Like, like we mm -hmm. hear from folks when we do qualitative research that I don't want to ride my bike to work because I don't want to show up sweaty. Well, if you electrify your bike, all of a sudden you're multiplying your effort, you're showing up having exerted less energy and you're like, whatever you, you appear the way that you want to show up to work, not disheveled, taking off your sweaty jacket or whatever. And you can go it, five it miles. It extends of your range. Two. Yeah. Totally, yeah. totally. It extends your range. And all of a sudden, the destinations that were too far away are all of a sudden now within a, a, an easy range and, and you're multiplying your effort and all this. I love this. It's, it's so wild that you said a quarter of the fleet is electric, but it accounts for half of the trips. That's yeah, huge. and that's in that's in New York City, but some of the systems, it's even more than that. Like people yeah. love e-bikes. That's the trend we just see across the board. And it's just going to keep increasing. So it's really, we got to figure out how to keep those bikes affordable, especially as they ramp up. I have a, I have a question. Um, are you, do you follow battery technology, innovation, improvements, um, pricing, anything like that? I'm, I'm very, and I, because I'm, I'm like really into battery technology right now for e-bikes, especially and for cars. But I mean, battery technology is where it's at. It's the plastics. It's like plastics. Um, I'm super interested in it. And what happens if, you know, if we get battery technology that is smaller, cheaper, faster, right? Do you, I mean, just thinking about how popular e-bikes are. And I, I mean, we were talking about this last last episode or an episode ago, Patrick, where I was mm -hmm. talking about when I went up to the, the Graniteer event in New Hampshire yeah. and the retailer, like all the kids wanted e-bikes. None of them wanted to ride a regular bike. And then the requisite old guy was like, kids are lazy. Burr, burr, burr. <laughs> you know? And really, it was just fun. But thinking about e-bike and commuting, which I do and have done professionally, as a matter of fact, what if there, you know, it would be really nice if there were charging stations around for me to use so that I could go 40 miles one way and 40 miles back. That'd be mm -hmm. awesome. Is anybody putting up charging stations or places where people could actually charge their e-bikes? And by the way, one thing that really is irritating about e-bikes is that it's they haven't standardized the charging the charging um, thing. Mm -hmm. We should like, do a whole nother episode on on e-bike battery technology, Kelly. Oh, I, yeah. I got I got <laughs> the no, right guest. Can Karen come to that? Yeah. One? I just I have so many questions, and I think you know, given the trends we're seeing in e-bike right now, that there's going to come a day very soon, like within the next decade or two, in which there are docking stations everywhere. Batteries are about the size of a regular, you know, D battery now and have the same capacity. And we're going to laugh about the 80 pound batteries we drag around. And I mean, everything changes. Then all bikes have the capacity to be e-bikes without adding a huge amount of weight or inconvenience. That's going to be incredible. I mean, I'm, I'm obsessed yeah. with this idea about what happens next in cycling because of e-bike. What about what do you think about that, Kieran? I think it would solve for sure. That would make a huge difference in cycling in general. With the shared micromobility, it's like even if the batteries are smaller, unless you figure out that in-dock charging, like charging in the field, people are still going to have to drive like drive around and replace them, right? And so the cities that are being proactive on that in Chicago, they're just trying to hook these stations up to the grid. In Aspen, there's a bunch of solar charge stations where you can right, charge exactly. your bike. Yes, I love those. Are, those are those are super expensive and not as widespread. But some city like Pittsburgh is also making huge strides in this, where they're just tapping into the electrical grid. It just takes a lot of. There's just so much bureaucracy when you're talking to the power company and the city and your private company. 
But I think the best case is really we make those happen at these docks for shared micromobility. And then you also have chargers where anybody could come and charge their e-bike. I think it's a good idea. I look forward to a day when my charger isn't a gazillion pounds and takes <laughs> up my entire backpack. That'd be nice. But that's a, that would be amazing if if I could count on being able to charge my bike without carrying a lot of extra stuff. I could ride my bike to DC and I could ride at home. And that's that's a mm. significant commute. I could that takes a car off the road, that takes all my carbon footprint away, except for you know what it takes to charge the battery. But I mean, this sounds like there's a lot of potential for for micro mobility to really take the place of a lot of cars in urban and, and maybe even suburban environments in the near future. A hundred percent, especially we, we got to figure out that infrastructure portion. Yeah. But I, th- I think that's the way we honestly have to go. Right. More electric vehicles on the road. It doesn't really make sense. It's just more of the same. And there's no gas tax to then maintain those roads. Because they're electric. So it, well, it just doesn't make sense. We got to we gotta do something differently. Uh, maybe we just have cars fly. That would be super convenient. There we go. We wouldn't yeah. have to build roads we'll anymore. We'll have an episode on that. Yeah, okay. I have an episode on that coming up. Actually, I could, do, I, could do an entire, I could do an entire episode on VTOL, which is stands for vertical takeoff and landing. Where they're going to charge those, who's developing them, how far along they are, and how much money it's going to cost, and why we need 5G. And I could take up two hours. So don't tempt me. <laughs> Get out of here. You, you mentioned the infrastructure earlier, Kieran. I think um, identifying that as one of the biggest barriers to individual cycling, feeling safe on the road and observe safety is huge. We want to know that there are fewer fatalities. We want to know that there are fewer collisions, but also perceptions of safety is so important. Like if, even if it's safe, if I don't think it's safe, I'm not going to ride. And we had this really beautiful moment during the first few months of COVID, which is horrible and devastating, but there was a beautiful moment for cycling where bikes and skateboards and other active transportation sort of like took over cities and forced at least 200 cities. Um, I forget the number, but it was like over 200 cities in the US to temporarily change their infrastructure to accommodate and like encourage micromobility. And this like grace period where there were fewer cars on the road city centers were shut down on both ends so that it was just pedestrians and cyclists and skateboards. There were so many people out riding, like the cyclists have the power, the people have the power, we can change the infrastructure. And then like fast forwarding to the fall and winter of 2020 and 21 and everything. And it all sort of reverted back and and we went back to our pre pandemic habits and we're not riding as much anymore. But we had this glimpse of like, if we could just believe that when we build it, people will ride, we could just, be like light years ahead of where we are now with with ridership, with mode share, with the electrification of bikes being driven by this market activity and this investment in e-bikes as a solution. I'm totally 100% bought into that. I love that vision so much. Obviously, that's, you know, we're working towards it. The thing is, like, even in that vision, you need shared micromobility because shared micromobility is the way that people who can't afford a bike, who can't lug a bike up to their apartment building, who don't have a safe place to store it, like that's, Mm -hmm. or just are more casual about it. That's the way we make bicycling accessible to them. And so it's, it really is like, I see shared micromobility as the equity arm of bicycling. And it's just like any future you have to build shared micromobility into it. That's perfect. That was, yeah, that was great. I love that. Before we wrap up, is there anything else that you wanted to share either from this report, maybe more broadly from the BBSP uh, or any of the other work you do at People for Bikes? 
you know, we are currently soliciting letters of interest for our Living Labs program. I think by the time this episode publishes, the deadline will have passed for that. But BBSP also gives away a ton of grants and we're going to give around a million dollars away to help cities make shared micromobility more equitable over the course of two years. Yeah. So we're excited This will publish that. on the 13th. It'll, it'll publish in like five days. So yeah. if the deadline okay. hasn't passed, we can put a link in the episode description. Oh, November 17th. Yeah, let's do it. We get the whole really week. get cities yeah. to apply. <laughs> and just Amazing. kind of create, and we're going to also have reports of our last round of Living Labs so people can learn from all that work. But basically check out the website. This report's up there. My summary of, of it's up there. And we have just a ton of research. And if you ever need help, have any questions, give us an email. My my email's all over the website. And, you know, if you're a funder with really deep talk, it's let's talk and we'll get Cincinnati some funding. Yeah. Kelly's going to follow up with her $500,000 offline. But yeah, if anyone else wants to chip in, <laughs> we'll, we'll share contact information. I love the idea that $500,000 could get me, uh, you know, free, free bike share in the city for a year. Just the idea not, of that. Not just it, for Boston. It's not even any. I, know, it's, like a big, it's a, yeah, I, was saying, I was like, holy crap, you know, I've heard of legacy donations. That's an impact. Like, I don't know where I'm going to put my money when I'm dead. Maybe this is the place. It's a legacy donation. That, that would be incredible. You heard it here first, folks. That'd be Too awesome. Cool. I'm a believer in this. And I think, you know, as I think about about the future of cycling, the future of just of, of, of commuting and transportation, I'm just I'm a believer in the e-bike. I really am a huge believer to the to the point where I'm I'm getting I, I can't put down my idea of having the shop called Upcycled where I have e-bikes that you could that you could buy or rent or just cruise around in and then you know you can buy all kinds of cool outdoor apparel. I love it. I'm obsessed with e-bikes too. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so wh- what kind of e-bike do you ride and you know talk about your typical ride? I ride two, I have two Rad Power e-bikes because you need one for your friend, you know, and <laughs> I also ride the B-cycle system in town, which are all electric too. Nice. And my typical, in the winter, because I live, obviously we we're just talking about it was snowing up here. In the winter, I'll drive down my hill down to Boulder where there's a lot less snow and I'll park at like a park and ride and get on bike share and use that around town. And then in the summer, my e-bikes help me get from this mountain home down there and back that's awesome i mean i'm thinking you need a you need a fat bike you need an e-fat bike i own one i own a it's the juice hyper fat i got it from them my god like seven years ago now and i got it before there there are no rules there are no rules when i got this but it is you know you can ride in the snow i'm I'm at that point i'm like sure let's ride everything in the snow i'm gonna make heated grips so that you know my ski poles and my and my bar ends are warm i've got three of them I've got three bikes, an e an e longboard, a drone, e longboard. E- oh, you don't <laughs> laugh. That thing is a beast. And then and an e push bike, which it's basically the, you know the Amish. It's a, it looks like a scooter with the the front of the bike is just a twenty six inch wheel, and then you got a twenty inch on the back. Electrified that. Like have my. Oh wait, wait. I actually I have to share this because you're gonna love this. I just read an article how the Amish are embracing e-bikes uh-huh they've like they've like made it so it's allowed you can you can use them they're never going to replace the horse and buggy but they're taken off yeah i mean that I live amazing among, i live among mennonites and and amish mostly mennonites 
it's a push bike. And that thing goes like 30 miles an hour. Where you stand. <laughs> not. And uh, oh, yeah, no. a, friend, a friend of mine has had that for about three years now. It's about time for me to get that back. But if, if you're ever in the D.C. area, Kieran, we are going to we're going to tear it up on e-bikes. It's going to be so fun. <laughs> so, yeah, I've got three bikes and you're welcome to ride any of them. Yeah. And we'll check out Capital Bike Share, too. Yeah, absolutely. That would be so fun. You've got to come out. I love that. Yeah. I'm there. I want to ride all the time. We got to ride. We've got to ride. ride all the time. That's perfect. All right. All the time. Thanks for listening to Inside the Outdoors, presented by People for Bikes and the Outdoor Industry Association. We'll see you next time.